Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty, for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Give me a call or visit bullrealty.com. Well, we have a treat for you. Uh, each year, PwC puts out their mid-year real estate deals insights. And uh, this year, obviously, at mid-year, is huge right with everything going on everyone's curious you know hey what happened in the second quarter on deals and pricing uh what are investors and users thinking uh and what uh, what is ahead of us well please welcome my guests they're tim bodner and byron carlock and they're with pwc gentlemen thank you for being with us happy to be here michael thank you well the first thing i'd like that, to touch on with you guys is uh your pricing so far. It seems like the volume of sales slowed down so much in the second quarter and during uh, the COVID shutdowns uh, that seems a little hard for the parties in the commercial real estate world to, to price and understand what values are and then also how to underwrite moving forward. What did you guys see uh, for volume and, and kind of changes in, in the second quarter? So, Michael, when you look across sectors, every sec uh, each of the major sectors experienced roughly about a 30% decline in the second quarter of uh, 2020 relative to the same in volume. In volume, relative to the same period mm -hmm. last year. And it's generally the same for value and volume. What's really interesting about it is when you look at it for the for the half year, the only sector that was up was logistics. And if you look at the numbers through May, through May, logistics was up about eight billion dollars, or about twenty percent year over year uh, through the through the through the six months. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. So let's. I guess you really have to talk about some of these sectors independently, don't you, to to really get an idea? Because you know, hospitality and retail are certainly bringing down the numbers. So uh, let's talk about hospitality first. I guess the the deal volume and and uh, value reductions were kind of dismal or was there enough transactions to understand value yet? So I think that's a good, a great, a great point, Michael. When you look at what's happening in the marketplace right now, there's not a lot of deal activity and that's creating an inability to have transparency around, around, around pricing. And so when you look at cap rates and you look at a price per pound and the like, you're seeing some trends that are anomalistic. If you actually look, for example, at retail cap rates in the in the in the in the for the first half of the year, they actually went down. But it's it's only a trend that's there because of a, a limited amount of volume. And so, it, you know, you kind of have to really look at the underlying transactions that are driving uh, the trends that we're seeing in the market to make to make informed uh, decisions. Michael, I think it's really worth looking at the fact that not only is there limited data, this is the only downturn that I can remember in the cycles that you and I've been through where there's still a lot of liquidity in the marketplace. And so there's a lot of activity that is probably going to happen, but people are waiting for the knife to stop falling. And I think um, in the hospitality space, most of those loans are gonna have to be reworked and recast. We've already begun to see that in the um, CMBS space, because as you know, in CMBS world, you can't even negotiate a restructure until there's a default and you bring in the special servicer and the master servicer at that point. And I think something like 26% of the hospitality loans are already in some sort of restructure discussion. On the other um, assets, 
failure to transact is also probably because many of those loans are in forbearance periods. Uh, the, the pension fund lenders and the life insurance lenders were willing to give pretty much for asking for someone that was current 90 days of forbearance uh, because they were then having to give forbearance to their tenants. That period of time is ending now. The new stimulus bill that's under discussion on the Hill is underway right now to discuss uh, whether those periods might be extended some by legislation. But I think uh, everyone's on the sidelines, but the good news is there's capital and there's plenty of capital for investment once there is something catalytic to restart the transaction activity. Yeah, good point. Uh, you know, I look at the deals we closed as brokers in the second quarter, and we we closed some large value-add uh, multifamily, which uh, seem, people seem to have a little more confidence in, right? And then some uh, value-add uh, retail. And then the other kind of retail and office and single tenant and those kinds of deals we closed were extremely stable, kind of high-end, very core, which were pretty much kind of COVID-proven or covid proof, if you will, uh, it, at least at this point. So it's interesting to see, we just put, pulled a bunch of cap rates on office sales in the Southeast and then around in Florida. And, and we didn't see any cap rate changes whatsoever so far in office. I think that gets to, you know, the, the comment around just the level of activity in the, in the, in the market, Michael, right? Uh, what's, what's also interesting about what you just commented on is there are still deals happening uh, in the market. And so if you think about sectors like single family residential uh, that have big secular enduring trends behind them, there is uh, transaction activity occurring in the market. We're seeing activity in, in self-storage. Uh, there's been a number of deals that have already closed. There's, there's several more uh, in, the, in the pipeline. Uh, there's uh, a lot of activity around uh, towers and data centers. And that's, that's kind of one of the interesting things we commented on this in our half year report is those sectors used to be viewed as niche sectors, right? Or, and, and now they're really becoming mainstream because it's because of some of these big enduring trends that are in the marketplace that are really driving economic activity. Yeah. It's interesting times. We took out a, $40 million office project. And we almost said, let's not do it because of COVID. But then we looked around, there wasn't really much product to buy. And right. I think because of that, we had really good activity. We've picked a great buyer for it. Um, so it's interesting. I think when, when non-real estate people ask me about the economy and real estate, what I tell them, look, if you're at a uh, cocktail party, and everybody's talking about how great real estate is and how wonderful it is. I said, you should be selling. Uh, and if everybody's at the cocktail party telling you that's gloom and doom, you should be buying. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I guess a lot of the folks that, that when you look at the, uh, the, uh, the, the world, the real estate world out there and you talk to the, the buyers, they're just not really getting some of them aren't getting the bargains that they, they'd really hope to get. Yeah, right. Absolutely. There still is a, a, a disparity between the bid and the ask across the market. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. But one of the reasons that I think you commented on at the, at the, at the top, Michael, is there's still just uncertainty around how do you underwrite, underwrite deals in, in this market. And, you know, what, I think investors want to have a, a bit more clarity on uh, kind of what, what, what 
what the future holds, at least not with certainty, but at least more certainty than they have today to drive activity. And some of the things that Byron talked about around what the government's doing with stimulus could be quite impactful to providing that certainty. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's an interesting mood to discern between actual blood in the water and perception that there's blood in the water. And there's not yet a lot of blood in the water. Uh, the, the, the restructures are just beginning. Um, the defaults are just beginning to accelerate. And frankly, users are trying to decide how they're going to use real estate in the future. What is the bricks and mortar uh, mix with e-commerce for the retailers? How many folks are going to return to the office in the format that they used to use it versus changing the way they use office, which seems to be the bigger discussion right now. Um, and until we have some better uh, usage patterns, I think that's going to drive this perception as to how distressed the industry is or is going to become. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I want to get you guys' view on uh, use moving forward because, you know, we can't uh, skate where the puck is going without thinking about that, right? So I want to ask you about that. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This is Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Site selection, marketing, and property due diligence has just changed. Check out Vista Property Report slash CRE Show. That's Vista Property Report slash CRE Show. Use promo code CRE Show. You will love this product. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. This is Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Check it out if you're looking for the ultimate in training for commercial agents. It's CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Today, we're talking about the mid-year 2020 Real Estate Deals Insights Report. Uh, we have uh, Tim Bodner here with us and Byron Carlock. They're with PwC. And, you know, we mentioned before the break here, um, uh, Byron, about kind of the uses moving forward to kind of think about, how are people going to use real estate? What's it going to do to the future? If we will, let's touch on uh, multifamily first. You know, multifamily seems to be holding up pretty well so far, you know, but do we have some of these kind of governmental uh, props uh, about to leave us? You know, what do you see moving forward for multifamily? Um, I'll offer a couple of thoughts and then let Tim back it up with some of the data. Multifamily is holding up okay. Valuations are generally steady to maybe down a couple of percentage points. Uh, collect, collections are bifurcated by class of apartment. And so the class A stuff is still getting collections in the 95% plus range, falling down to the class B and C where people are more impacted by unemployment. And it'll really, time will tell as the decisions are made about stimulus checks or not, continuation of unemployment or not. And that will certainly drive uh, some vacancy if if employment does not return i think that's the biggest risk to multifamily i think starts have um you know starts are probably going to slow as construction financing has has begun uh slowing and so the additions to supply which were already undersupplied may be exacerbated in this downturn uh which means that existing rents may hold up because of the lack of supply we did see in the urban areas an exodus of uh, young occupants to their homes where they are working remotely and avoiding having to pay high city rents if they can. 
that you saw a lot of terminations in the second quarter in the major cities like New York and San Francisco. And uh, landlords are offering concessions now, which they haven't had to do in many, many years. But I think generally, we all need roofs over our head. We were undersupplied going into this. And I think multifamily will come out of this okay. Kim, do you agree? I completely agree. The other thing we, we saw is if you look at this, the residential theme more broadly, and you just look at single family residential for their latest quarter, their growth in occupancy was substantial year over year. And they're in the suburbs. That's exactly right. And seeing significant rent growth. And it, what's so fascinating about that is if you go back to the last financial crisis, there was so much skepticism around that business model. And I think, and how would it really do in a downturn? And I think we're seeing it kind of unfold in front of us right now that that's a it really uh, strong, has some really strong secular trends behind it that's really driving growth. The other interesting thing that I think we're seeing in the marketplace coming out of earnings for the second quarter for the public companies is if you look at student housing, I think a lot of people thought, well, if you look at student housing and more education goes online, which that, that likely will be the outcome, you know, what does that do to student housing? And what, the, what we saw in the second quarter earnings was actually really strong occupancy trends and leasing trends for the student housing operators for the second quarter. And I think it comes down to, at the end of the day, human behavior and the idea that kids don't want to be in their parents' house um, <laughs> you know, all the time, right? So, yeah, or the parents, parents don't want them there. That's right. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess some of the um, uh, on-campus housing, uh, they, they, they've got, they can't pack them in there, right? Well, that yeah, exactly. And so these universities are looking at it's, it's actually a tailwind for the student housing operators, where the universities are looking for more uh, residential alternatives because they they're trying to create more space for their students so they can have them on campus. And student housing operators are an alternative. We're also seeing a bit of that in lodging and uh, hospitality as well, particularly in the major uh, major cities where those are being being another use case for for our hospitality assets. And let's talk about the hotel world for a moment. You know, everybody knows that uh, uh, it's hard times for the hospitality world, and especially in the cities where there's a lot of tourists and, and a lot of business travel. What is the outlook for recovery there? Is it 2022? You know, what do you guys think? So hospitality broadly is probably going to start seeing some recovery in 2021. Um, you're already seeing some recovery in the um, resort area where there's some social distancing capability along the beach. But the idea of returning to full business travel, conferences, conventions, sales meetings, national meetings, you know, that, that's looking less promising for 2021 and pushing out for 2022. I have to commend the hospitality industry, though, for very aggressively responding to um, new standards of cleanliness, sanitation, and operating standards for giving confidence to the traveling public that they can stay in a clean room if they want to. I don't know if you've done any traveling or not. I had to some last week, and things as simple as having the housekeeper seal the room, and when you walk in, you're breaking the seal, and that's their promise to you that the room is clean. The idea that if you want room service, they'll meet you at the door in a mask and give you food, but the restaurant might be closed and there's no bar service. So the idea that the industry has worked very hard to inspire confidence is commendation that we should offer the industry for being so thoughtful. 
I think they're trying very hard to prove that it's okay to travel. Most companies, however, are still prohibiting travel and business travel really drives so much of the industry. You're hearing talk of reuse of space, taking limited service hotels and turning them into affordable housing or transient housing. Uh, the good news is most of those buildings are very adaptable. But I think that the, the timeline to your recovery of getting back to conferences and conventions is probably two years out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds about right. Uh, especially in our, our current environment where we don't have a, a vaccine yet. Um, well, let's talk about retail. It, it's interesting. I asked you guys earlier off air, you know, kind of where you've been hanging out lately, because it seems like wherever you are in the country, sometimes it'll kind of give you a different mental attitude about what's going on in the world. Um, you know, if you're in Manhattan and New York, it's kind of like, whoa, uh, what's going on? Everybody's leaving this too dense here. Uh, I was in uh, north of Atlanta around the Lake Lanier area. The retail up there is just super busy. Every, you know, it's just very, very vibrant. Uh, I come down to Atlanta, go you know, into Buckhead, um, and it's a little more desolate. <laughs> retail so so how do you guys look at retail kind of the bricks and mortar part of retail moving forward so when, when we think about retail there's there's clearly going to be um some retail gets that gets repurposed <clears throat> into other assets right and that's going to be a market market specific trend of why, why, why that happens but there, there will be some changes in use for real for retail real estate and that's just a, a fact What's really interesting to us, however, is when we look at the retail space, there's actually a lot of use, case, use cases emerging around using them as micro fulfillment centers. And you can look across a number of different market participants where that's uh, happening. We hear a lot of investors actually thinking about underwriting some retail assets that are well-located almost with a logistics valuation. They, they know it's not that's not where it's pricing today, but that's because it's being viewed as a retail asset. But if you think about it as a micro fulfillment center and think about it more in a logistics context, uh, there actually are some really attractive opportunistic uh, uh, trends emerging. The last point I'll offer is everything is about giving, getting to the consumer directly today. And you're seeing that across industries. And so retail uh, assets are being repurposed into how do you kind of adapt to that trend? What, how do you give people the ability to pick up something that they buy online uh, on the store? How do, if they buy it online, could they return to the store? And so they're really being multi-use assets is what we're really seeing in, in, uh, in the market. And that's quite encouraging, I think, from a, from a, from a retail real estate perspective. And I'm, I'm hearing differences among categories. You know, humorously, we all need bigger pants and anything with elastic. People are in line. If you if you go if you go visit an athleisure store, you see a line out the door because everybody needs new elastic pants. If you go to a liquor store, there's a line out the door. People are drinking more. They're eating better food. They're cooking more at home. Uh, and and I think that that is trend worthy. I was hearing from a uh, furniture wholesaler that furniture sales are actually up because some people are looking around their house going, oh my gosh, I need a new sofa. <laughs> and, and, and so it's interesting what the quarantining, safe sheltering and pandemic has done for certain categories that, that we might not have thought of. Um, and so I think it's, it's mixed. But one thing we can say for sure is the pandemic has accelerated a trend that was already in place and that is e-commerce, which only leads the 
retail brick and mortar user to rethink their own footprint and the way that they're going to use brick and mortar spaces to touch their customer. So as Tim pointed out, reuse, adaptive reuse to other uses such as uh, last mile fulfillment, obvious we're seeing that. Rethinking the footprint of concepts um, by distance, but still trying to be effective in touching, touching their customers. Electronic stores spending more time showrooming in their brick and mortar location and then getting it to you within a matter of hours or days uh, through their e-commerce logistics capabilities. So I think each category is being touched differently. Yeah, and I think it's gonna be really interesting with people kind of caught up, not being able to go anywhere and, and, uh, and getting cabin fever, if you will, to see as, as people can get out and feel more comfortable again, maybe post the vaccine, what happens in these restaurants, what happens in these retail stores, especially with a lot of them shut down and the ones that uh, are still open in there to be interesting to see how fast they come back. And one of the other um, uses that I think a lot of people are curious about right now uh, is uh, office use. I mean, as we record this, I'm, I'm, I'm in my office, but uh, you guys are in your uh, beautiful homes, right? You know, that's where a lot of people are in their homes and apartments. So I want to ask, I want to take a short break and we get back. I want to ask you guys what you guys feel about uh, when we look at the market, what's happening in office, and then what you expect moving forward uh, uh, for trends. So uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This spec segment is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Well, today we're covering the mid-year 2020 Real Estate Deals Insight Report from PwC. We have Tim Bodner here and Byron Carlock. And uh, gentlemen, we kind of broached uh, the topic of office moving forward. And it seems like I talked to some tenants and companies that we work with and like, whoa, we're not going to need office space anymore. This is going to be great. Things are going to be wonderful. Uh, and then I talked to some who are, who are saying they can't wait to, to get back in the office to be more productive. What are you guys seeing and hearing uh, in, in your space? Well, I'll start by saying, um, you know, CFOs three or four weeks into the pandemic realized that beyond people costs, occupancy costs is one of their biggest expense items on the income statement. And so they're thinking, oh my gosh, if we're doing this from home, we can do it forever. But then if, if you really do the math and look at the fact that we've, we've probably over-densified over the last five years, as we've come down from roughly 400 square feet per person down to 150 to 175, if you social distance and expand a little bit more, many users actually need more space. And some of our clients have actually realized that and are, are expanding 
However, I think the vast majority of folks, just like we've seen in other categories, are trying to decide how they want to use office going forward, what is the re reason to be in an office, and you begin thinking about for collaboration, team meetings, onboarding, new talent, uh, product demonstrations, research and development, brainstorming, budgeting, those are things that you really need to be around a table doing together. And those are probably uses that we'll watch many people invest in changing the nature of their space, be able to accommodate those changes. So that if you are doing head down desk work, you have the option of doing that at home or doing it remotely. But if you have team related activities, the way you use your office is gonna change and uh, there may be floor limitations as to how many people are allowed to be on a floor at a given time so as to promote social distancing. But I don't think the need for office is going to go away. It's going to change. You know, that's interesting, your, your point that some um, of these users are going to want more space because of uh, wanting more square footage per person. In my own company, I have we have uh, on the, about 550 square feet per person, uh, which I guess is a waste, but people are very comfortable being here. We all have private offices. When we're in the common areas, we mask. So uh, we, as far as we know, we, no one's spread any, uh, anything bad to each <laughs> other, but they're, they're coming. And I noticed the people that are here are seem to be more productive then the people are at home. Uh, it's be interesting to see what, what happens moving forward. Well, I, I think Tim's got some interesting stats to share on the return to suburbs. I and mean, suburban office may actually be the winner here after many of us thought suburban office was dead. Yeah, I mean, I think what's what what's interesting in that what we're seeing, and you're seeing it in the, the office leasing stats for the quarter where, you know, some of the things that you both just commented on have come through where, for the most part, companies are not making dramatic decisions in terms of their real estate footprint today. They're really focusing on looking at what Byron just commented on, which is how is their their office footprint going to be used going forward? And do they need to kind of create more of a hub and spoke model or a satellite of offices where they have some in the suburbs, some in the city, to give people at the end of the day more flexibility and choice? I think when we talk to, to, to people, for the most part, people want flexibility. They, they want to have choice. Maybe they do want to work at home one or two days a week, but we're not hearing that people want to uh, work, at, work at home, you know, five days a week. And so uh, that's really what we think is, is going gonna, is gonna to play out over, you know, over time, together with kind of the point that Byron focused on, which is that office will likely become less dense and be used more as kind of innovation hubs and for people to come together and collaborate and that's really what we're seeing happen um, in in the office market right now. The one thing that kind of watched that we 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 that just started to kind of come through in the quarter is the amount of subleasing uh, activity. And if you look at the amount of subleasing activity in major metropolitan market, it is starting to to pick up. So that's the trend to kind of closely watch is what's happening in the in the sublease market because that's kind of you can think of that as shadow vacancy that may not emerge directly in, in terms of the overall vacancy rates, you know, in each city. So sublease activity is something to keep a close eye on uh, and that we're watching very closely. And what do you uh, see out there for collections uh, by uh, office landlords uh, so far? You know, it's interesting. Um, if you look at the institutional quality assets, 
it's it's really hovered somewhere between 96, 97 percent over the last uh, four or five months. And you know, it's 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 different by geography, different by by class, but for the most part, collections uh, have held up. And I think for those uh, who have re released earnings for for the second quarter, uh, just over the last couple of weeks, that trend seems to be to be holding uh, in in July and, and moving into August. Yeah, it's interesting. We're um, contemplating taking out an office building in South Florida to the market, and I asked the uh, landlord, the seller yesterday, "Tell me about your collections um, so far through the second quarter." He said, "Every tenant, every tenant paid on time. Everybody current. No one asking for any any relief." And I'm like, "Well, you've kind of that's COVID proven." So I think it's possible we can go ahead and go out to market. Uh, maybe someone can underwrite that. Uh, but uh, I guess the, the volume's really, really been low. It's still hard to kind of figure that out. So do you think some of these companies then may be moving too quickly? I mean, you mentioned the, the, the sublease space coming up. I know that uh, one of our clients just said, look, they're, they're going to work everyone from home. And I'm like, are you making a very quick decision right. here? And then when, when things come back and, you know, um, you're trying to look at efficiency and productivity, look at morale and recruiting and retention and onboarding and, and the growth. Like I learned from my young, my young guys and, and young ladies that work at, at my shop, you know, they learn from me. And at this, with this distance, I, I think it's going to be tough. You know, we did a survey six weeks ago. And 69% of the CFOs said if they can use less space and have more people work from home, they're going to and, and enjoy that savings. As this, has, as this has drug on and they listen to their employees, it's clear that most people want to have an office home. They want to have a place to have their meetings. And I think as, as folks have tried to onboard their summer hires, if they, if they honored their offers from the spring, they're saying that it's difficult to share culture and inculcate uh, company training yeah. if you're not in an office. And I think, um, so it's it's too early to put a nail in that coffin. One of the surprises, as Tim pointed out, though, is suburban activity and the hub and spoke idea is getting some legs. And uh, in the urban areas, it's primarily so that folks don't have to depend on rapid transit to get into the urban areas, but they've got a satellite closer to them in the suburbs that they can drive to. And that seems to be a popular option. And of course, it's an the less expensive option. So we may be looking at the de-urbanization and the shrinking of the core urban footprint, but not going away, and then sharing some of that space need in the suburbs, which had frankly been contracting up until now. Yeah, and I guess you know New York's really a prime example for that, right? Right, yeah. New York, northern New Jersey, um, the, there's been a big exodus from Seattle, uh, from some of the protest activity out to Bellevue. Bellevue had a very positive second quarter absorption number. Uh, but, but the leasing activity in New York has, to your example, it was negative, pretty substantially negative, like 5 million square feet negative in the second quarter for office leasing. You're bringing up another interesting point, Byron, that's playing into companies' decisions around where, you, if you think about what you mentioned on, on Seattle, it's going to be interesting to see as municipalities you know, uh, take action to address some of the impact of COVID because of lower uh, economic activity and create new taxes and the like. How does that change 
uh, how companies, where, where do they choose to locate? And Seattle that Byron highlighted is a great illustration of that, as is you know, New York and, and, and the like that we saw you know, in the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, before I let you guys go, um, when you think about this mid-year report and, uh, um, and you look it over, was there anything that surprised you or maybe that kind of could jumped out you think we should think about moving forward? Look, I think the expectation was that we, we knew we knew deal activity was going to be down. We knew it was going to be down because it was, it, you know, there was, there was changes in, in the financing markets where, you know, the sources of financing were, were, were pulled back. There was, there was gaps between bid and ask spreads. Uh, there was, you know, uncertainty in underwriting. So the overall kind of decline in, in, in volume and value did not, did not surprise us. Uh, I think what was 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 encouraging to see was just how enduring some of these trends are that we've been focused on uh, for quite some time. And just the, the the couple that I would offer is the trends that we're seeing in residential are there in those asset classes. The trends that we're seeing in self storage, those are there. Uh, the trends that we saw in uh, e-commerce and logistics, as Byron mentioned earlier, are are there, and those are real and they're accelerating. And then the thing that we're seeing around the move to the cloud and the impact that it has on data centers and towers is really just kind of reinforced our, you know, our, our viewpoint that those are those are sectors to, that we'll see continued activity, particularly in the second half of this year, even if we see lower volumes in some of the traditional sectors. True. And I, I say, I, I think the thing that jumped out at me was the acceptance of the investment marketplace of these products that Tim brought up earlier that had historically been considered fringe or non-core around data centers and towers. And now they are front and center as the technology, technology implications of real estate investment really are front and center as the attractiveness of those two product types in particular become more of mainstream. Yeah. Okay. Well, excellent. Well, great information as usual, gentlemen. We sure appreciate uh, you joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Mike. All right, and thank you for joining us around the country. We'll put a link to the report uh, on the show website at CREshow.com. Let us know what you think. We appreciate hearing from you. Please do connect with us on your favorite social media. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Vista Property Report slash CRE Show. Incredible analysis using smartphone technology. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. 
Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.